or most importantly, what really happened at the Engadine McDonald's in 1997? It will remain the mystery of the ages. And I know Australians know that I can be a bit of a bulldozer when it comes to issues, and I suspect you guys know that too. But you know, over the last few years, that's been pretty important to ensure we've been able to get through some of the most important things that we've had to do. I know there are things that are going to have to change with the way I do things, because we're moving into a different time. Thorn in Your Side is a podcast recorded on the various lands of First Nations peoples, land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. While there's air that is breathed and water that nourishes and provides, ownership of this land remains unresolved. Respects are paid to elders past and present in the ongoing quest for self-determination and reclamation of land. Hello and welcome everyone, it's Thorn in Your Side, this is M. Um, I'm feeling a lot more confident in this episode compared to the last episode because I have my tech back. Um, I have a new console, I have new microphones, oh, I haven't got new microphones, my old shit, like with my headphones and, and my uh, microphone and filters and whatnot, but I've got a new like console and um, I feel I feel empowered, um, so yeah, let's let's have some good audio at least. And um, if we have words to accompany the audio, um, then uh, that will be a welcome bonus for this uh, humble podcaster. So who I have with me is uh, the regular, uh, I, I guess this time I'm going to be um, quite convinced that he is a regular now rather than spending fucking 10 minutes trying to figure out whether he's a regular or not. So it's a regular. Hi, John. How's it going? It's going good, M. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, sort of good. Um, now, since we last uh, last spoke, we we went to the wrestling, and as well as sharing a social experience, we also shared a little bit more, didn't we, John? Well, that's the allegation. Uh, I don't know if we have time uh, to really flesh out this debate. Uh, you are. I believe alleging that I gave you some sort of sickness or virus. And I'm suggesting that possibly we, we might have picked it up from another party or, or maybe you gave it to me, but we, we, we have shared a viral experience. Yeah. Like we don't know the epicenter and I mean, that could be an episode in itself. And I mean, we, we do have um, a, a, a debate that we already have in train <laughs> for this episode <laughs> Um, but I also might just like to preface it by saying that uh, what we both had was old school flu. Um, I was fully convinced I had COVID, but do you feel like convinced you had COVID? I, I, I tested so many times, but uh, again, not uh, hip enough to get the fancy virus. Yeah. Just the old school yeah, flu, which, you know, in... in it has killed many people before, so you know it's not. It's it's it, it, it's it's it has its issues. It's had its track record, yeah. And I believe, uh, well, I definitely, I think, well, I didn't know you were sick until you mentioned that that you were sick. But uh, 
I was pretty sick. Yeah. I, it was two weeks, two weeks of, of really struggling. Um, I tried to work through it for a few days. Yep. But I had days where oh yeah, I couldn't I couldn't function. I, I was literally like sleeping sixteen hours a day and it was a pain in the ass the rest of the time. I mean, my wife got sick of me being sick. That's what I know of. I've I've went too far when she just has had enough. Yeah, yeah. That's the uh that's a sick benchmark. <laughs> I had uh similar symptoms, although I do remember a couple of times, um, for a couple of nights I'd just kind of wake up just basically choking and having to spit up. Um, I won't go into forensic details because I do have an audience, apparently. But fun fact, like I went to my GP and my GP told me like I have a, a narrower throat tract than usual. So um, that, that might be a partial explanation for why I kind of had uh, the viral experience that I had. But that, uh, interesting information. Personal <laughs> self-discovery is always good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said to my GP, I think I've learned something today. Oh, and the other thing as well is that um, I, I've watched a Doctor Strange movie, John. I, I hear, I hear that that's out at the at the cinemas. Yeah, where you you need to sit with other people and, and could get viruses. Just for the record. Yeah, yeah, I watched it after I got the throaty thing. So, but the reason why I bring that up is because I remember um, remember how I did that um, that end of last year episode where I just basically just um, took all the stuff that we recorded earlier that year in March. The other thing as well is that a lot of these popular shows that, that are popping up on the streaming services, they're not absolutely original content. They're universe building. So I've really gotten into WandaVision because it's really doing a lot of that universe building of the MCU. I bring this up because this is basically my hot take watching that movie. It's like it, it is. Um, should, should we be clear? This is a uh, no spoilers. You're 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 able to discuss the movie without giving away key details to uh, people who I, haven't watched it, namely uh, me. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to go into it too far because we're, we're going to talk about how Morrison may or may not have shat his pants. But um, the the thing that. Uh, I noticed particularly about this movie, and I reckon it's going to set a bit of a precedent for future movies. And I think it's, you know, particularly important given what we talked about a couple of episodes ago. Um, that movie basically felt like it was just a wrap-up of WandaVision. Okay. More or less. Like, it wasn't a movie that stood on its own. It just felt like at least, if not the final episode, maybe the final three episodes... So you would certainly suggest if someone is going to go see the movie and they haven't watched WandaVision, that they should watch WandaVision. Yeah, I had a couple of friends that just basically aren't the the, the, the biggest Marvel fans um, and they just watched it and it's like, I have no idea what's happening here. This is, this is one of the big problems that comic books have where, you know, the detail gets so, you know, the continuity gets so intense that... You know, a person picks up a comic and, and opens it and starts reading it. And this used to happen with X-Men comics and you'd go, I've got no idea what's going on here. Yep, yep, um, yep. I think that was their experience. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, people that, uh, that, that, those normal folk that, that watch the movies on the cinema scope um, are now enduring the, the same pain that you and I did when we thought, oh, we might try and get on this X-Men bandwagon in the 90s. Um yeah, don't make any spoilers, Michael.
But that's just a warning for, um, I suppose, into the future. And we can talk more about this, John, because we have touched upon this streaming phenomenon. Um, that's my, um, my guess into the future, that any potential future Marvel movies, there, there really is going to be a bit of a knitting or serialising with those streaming series. So that's going to be paradise for geeks, but problematic for... Your um your casual cinema observer. Anyway, let's talk about Disney later. So what we're here for, John, and um, we kind of been hyping this up for a little while now, haven't we? Um, kind of had to put a bit of a pause on it because of our mutual sickness. Um, but there's an election in a couple of weeks. Um, I already voted, by the way. Oh, decide, good, good, yeah, yeah. Just decide to get it out of the way. Um, I, I, I draw a dick on my ballot. So who do you... <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder, like, I always imagine, like, a liberal scrutineer being in there going, he drew a dick on his ballot? That's clearly our candidate. He's clearly preferencing our candidate. So, uh, number one for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, not so much code. Sometimes it's just a cigar. Um, anyway, yeah, just in case I've actually forgot on the day... Um, so I just kind of wanted to avoid that. What's the fine if you don't vote? Is it 200 bucks or something? Or? Oh, I can't remember. It's been a while since I haven't voted. Yeah, price of a Snickers bar these days. Um, did that now? Did you have to give an explanation about why you were voting early? Like, is is it still a rule that you have to have a reason that uh, they didn't ask no questions? Just no. But the other thing I did as well is is that um, I consciously avoided the gauntlet you know how like you have all those people with the how to vote yeah. things and um and there was a fuckload of how to vote people that were in the front yeah different yeah. parties micro parties those teals um that pissy mob um so it was definitely just like running a big massive gauntlet that i wanted to avoid so i just literally went in through the back door um, was able to vote that way. Um, found a security guard and um, was able to just that, get my name marked off and away I went. But I wonder if it was a, be a different story though if I actually did the did it through the orthodox way of actually going through all of that and going, nah, I don't need that. Nah, I don't need that. Save some trees. Fuck off. Go away. Clive Palmer, you're a libertarian shit, etc., etc., etc. If I did that, perhaps they would have told me come back in a couple of weeks. But I don't know. Okay, interesting. I, I just can't remember. So so you actively wanted to avoid the gauntlet so you wouldn't have these interactions. You didn't want to talk to the Clive Palmer person. You didn't want to talk to the Liberal, the Teal. You just, just I'm going to get in there, vote and get out. Yep. Okay. Should I have? I don't know. I don't know. Some people seem to, to, to relish those conversations and some people... Seem to hate them. I, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. My my dad used to say, you know, when I was a kid and he was trying to tell me about voting, gave me a few weird ideas about voting. But he used to say, you know, you take you take a fly from everyone so they don't know who you voted for. But he also used to say, you vote one party in the lower house and you vote the other party in the upper house, uh, which I never used to understand. But anyway, that's a, another story. But you know, I know, I see some people love it. They go up to people and they have these conversations. You know, I know my wife hates it and tries to not take any of the how to votes. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, okay. But you definitely didn't want those interactions, didn't want those conversations. And it's true right now because this pre-polling is so big that the, the parties do make sure that they have people there to, to hand out because it's something like, well, I'm not I'm not sure, was it a third of the, the votes they're expecting uh, might be pre-haul votes um, across, the, across the nation? Um, uh, I'm not too sure about the statistic, but um, I think I get the sense, I mean basing my view upon everyone else's view as one on the autism spectrum might do. Um, uh, I uh, think there might be a bit more of a community awareness of possibly knowing that you can vote earlier than usual. Um, But it might also be something that people might entertain because, you know, do it on election day, you're potentially within a large crowd of people, you know, COVID minimisation type stuff. So I think that might be why people are doing earlier than usual. Could be. I know I've I've got to do the same. I've got to vote early because on election day I'm I'm going to be travelling somewhere. Um, and I heard too that they're actually doing phone voting. Like if you've got COVID and you can't go to the polls, um, they're going to do phone voting. I don't know how that's going to work, but it's just something I, I saw. You install an app. Hello. I think to, I think you literally call them up. You know, hi. It's Frank here. Oh, I've got COVID. Um, how do I vote for Labor or whatever? I think it's literally press one for you have COVID, press two for centre bet election. I saw Anthony Green <laughs> mentioned it in a in a forum and that's all I know. And I've assumed if he's mentioned it, it must be real and he didn't make it up, but I have no details. But I just thought, oh well I guess they have to. Like there's gonna be people we, there's gonna be people who, who will get COVID and be isolated and can't go and vote on election day and mate. Only find out a few days beforehand, so I can't go vote before. So how do you prove it? Like, do you have to like put your positive test in before you call, or you just go, oh, "I got COVID." It's like maybe they judge you on your voice. Yeah, <laughs> you know when you when you're calling in sick. Oh yeah, COVID. Oh, it's a tough uh, number one Albanese. Uh, <laughs> Twenty dollars on the teal. Oh, nope, so, sorry, I pressed two instead of one. Um, sorry, <laughs> I'm calling later to put uh, some bets on other races, but I'll, I'll do mine. Yeah, so uh, I didn't uh, I didn't run the gauntlet, John, because uh, I think I just didn't want to breach a potential criminal law that day, I think. Yeah, hmm. I was, I've, I've been looking forward to talking to the person who's handing out the liberal one and, and try and understand what the fuck are you doing? Well, how could you be? How could you be standing up for this government? But anyway, oh, I mean, it was the Clive Palmer one that particularly got my hackles up. Oh, I understand. They're, they're, they're nuts. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're nuts. Like I get them. They're nuts, right? Like mm. I. That's fine, you know. Um, mm. But the liberal person, I always feel like eh, you should know better. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like. So that was my election experience, John. Um, now let us uh, continue mm-hmm. and venture further into um, our Dakgate scenario. Now uh, we were talking about this earlier, where and this might be a good entry point that um, we looked, or I looked at the the front page of the Daily Telegraph, or rather, um, I looked at a posting that um, a common friend of ours called David sat out put on his Facebook page um, that showed the front page of the Daily Telegraph. And, um, yeah, side note, we need to interview that guy. 
write that one down, John. Dave Satoot will definitely put him on the list. Is that how, so how do you pronounce it? Satoot. Satoot. Well, that, that's what he calls it. I assume that's what he calls himself. I so. thought it was always sat out. Yeah, it is written that way. So. Oh. Um, so anyway, that fellow... Uh, on his Facebooks, he uh, he put the f- the front page of the Daily Telegraph on today, and it was like a, a stamp sized paragraph that basically said Skomo was fucked, um, and the rest of it is just like your typical shit. Like I think from memory, like Guy Sebastian's doing this, and um, you know uh, family dramas, and then half a page worth of Harvey Norman ads. Something about rugby league. And- yeah, sport sport stuff. Um, Daily Telegraph, and then, and then there's the tagline underneath it these days where it says, we're here for you, and yeah. As we're, you're, you're good point. As we're getting closer and closer to the election, and, and as, as Labor are doing better and better and better, less and less coverage of the election on the front page. Correct. And that seemed to me like, um, for me, a signal that, that ScoMo was fucked, like a, a postage size blurb saying that the polls don't look good it's not looking good although the courier mail i think with the courier mail they were saying today that um that he's got 10 days or something to save his job they're a bit more optimistic and of that's course. yeah that's queensland and, and queensland you know labor isn't uh doing as well as they're doing in the other states mm. so uh maybe maybe they're holding out hope uh, in queensland all right so let's drive a bit closer to that gate, John. And I'm going to kick this off. Why do you think ScoMo's fucked in this election? Why do I think he's fucked? <laughs> well, you, you want to, like if I was to say something nice about the Australian people, I'd say they've, they've worked him out. Um, but, you know, he is, on, on, in some ways, he, he's deceptively, like it seems like a very simple man. Mm. And a lot of these moves, you know, a bit like Kevin Nash's wrestling moves, like he has one or two moves, but they're really effective. Um, like making curries, a.k.a. a powerbomb. Yeah, you know, it's... It, it's um, Jackknife powerbomb, is that? Jackknife, that's, that's that was Kevin Nash's uh, sidewalk slam and the jackknife powerbomb were his two moves, basically. Uh, yeah. That's what he had. He used to say, oh, yes, I've only got two moves, but they, they hurt a lot. Okay. Uh, they were very for the Jackknife Powerbomb! Can he yes. Can he solidify his destiny? We are doing a curry today, and yeah. uh, we're doing a Slankin oh. seafood curry, nice. which is pretty simple. Even I can do it. And uh, and we'll have some samosas as well before. So nice. they're is a little this trickier. Your, this is your personal s- samosa scomosa recipe. That's I've what my staff have called them. Yeah, yeah the scomosas. Um, oh. Like my my view is like he's just horrible, and and people have worked out that he's horrible. But well, but why is he horrible, John? Why is he horrible? This this is my view, and I've been trying to articulate it. He is that guy that we went to school with, that we worked with, who either cheats or manipulates the rules all the way and wins and gets ahead. Right, that guy. He's that guy. 
And it's like anything about ethics or authenticity, it's like, nah. No. And that will just get in the way of the result. That's it. And like, we all play by some norms and some general sets of rules that that aren't the formal, you know, rules that, you know, just good sportsmanship, that sort of stuff. Mm. You know, here's a person who who avoids all that, 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 that doesn't, um, that, that doesn't play to the norms, that will breach the norms and only play to the letter of the law. And if they can find a way around the letter of the law, then they'll do it. Like, I just remember, you know, people... I remember going to school with guys like this. Yeah. They're just horrible. They were just really, really painful people to be around. They would manipulate. They would cheat, you know. But if anyone else did what they would do, they'd call them out on it. And they used to get ahead. They used to always win. Um, and I used to really, like, loathe them. He's that guy to me. Well, there's two big examples of... Scott Morrison, where it's like he won when he shouldn't have. Now, I can remember the first example was um, how he got his initial pre-selection yes, yeah, in the Shire, and that's when he made his metamorphosis into Cronulla Sharks fan, that sort of thing. Now, there was that issue with um, that other fellow, Michael Tauk, Talk. I'm not doing very good with um, Middle Eastern surnames today, but um, that guy, like he won pre-selection of Fair and Square um, and somehow Scott Morrison was able to put forward, um, a, well, I suppose in this day and age it would be quite clear, a racist prosecution that this fellow should not get up because not too long ago there was the Cronulla riots and it would not be a good look for... Um, someone of Middle Eastern descent to be the Liberal candidate in that neck of the woods. Um, he was able to use that line, uh, went up the Liberal machine, and then next minute he became the candidate, and the rest was history. You know, on Australia Day, it's all about acknowledging how far we've come. You know, when those 12 ships turned up in Sydney all those years ago, it wasn't a particularly flash day for the people on, on, on those vessels either. And I think what that day to this demonstrates is how far we've come as a country. Does that go back to that idea of the guy back in high school that always won no matter what? Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, that classless cheat to win sort of thing. You know, not, not just, just win at all costs. Know, literally at all costs. And I think that, for me, epitomises what Scott Morrison... Win, win at all costs and really no purpose to winning other than power and, and um, the, themselves. Like, he doesn't strike me as someone with a particular agenda, as in, you know, a particular left-wing or right-wing agenda. It's really... At any time, he will sell out anything uh, to win, I really feel, you know. That, and, and, you know... One of the things I think people talk talked about when, when he came on the stage as Prime Minister, he, his authenticity. And for me, he feels like the fakest person ever. Mm. But, but he had to construct that authenticity, though. And I think there was a confusion between authenticity and accessibility. Yeah. Like, you know, the suburban daggy dad. And, and that's a construct. Yeah, yeah. And this is, this is something that, that I think is interesting because a few times in my life I've met people who I can see are, are constructing their identity. Like they're actively 
thinking about who they want to be. They're actively putting things in place. They're deciding, you know what, I'm going to be a person that likes this thing. And for me, it feels really false that they're making this decision. I want to be the sort of person that likes this. And then they become the person that likes it. And then it, it, it they sort of then make it real. He's that guy. And that's one of the reasons why I'm always so offended at Duckgate. Because for me, Duckgate, even though he's, he's you know, come out and said, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's just an urban myth, it never, it never happened. He never addresses the reality of it because to address the reality of it would question his authenticity as a, as a Cronulla Sharks supporter. Well, speaking about that gate, John, I mean, I remember um, um, many episodes ago now, we were actually going to think about doing this great debate where I was going to assume that that gate it actually happened. I was really hoping when we did it that we would have like some law and order um, uh, things do 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 that you could drop in, you know, when we, we make anyway. So. Well, just wait for the final edit, John. Um <laughs> Unfortunately, I think the more we've seen this guy persist, the more uh, we both are getting this common thesis now about the guy where whatever helps the image to get the votes, to maintain the prestige and the power and the victory and all of that, um, it's all good. So... Um, it, it kind of renders it even a moot point whether or whether or not it actually happened. It didn't happen, of course, but there is some currency of the, with the myth because it, it all comes into the whole, um, you know, ordinary daggy bloke, late 90s, grand final. Um, I, I could say that we've all been there, but it's like, you know, sharing isn't necessarily caring, but... Um, it's it's a humbling story, yeah. That makes him sound like a human, yeah. You know, that loves his footy, occasionally shits himself, yeah. Like all of us. Well, he, he had a bad curry after the Sharks game, and then he had an accident in Engadine Mackers. I mean, it, it it does tick off a lot of the bases of the persona that he's constructed. Um, that's. That's the other thing I think as well that um, that he's been able to garner with this this construction that um, that he's ordinary but he's also familiar and um, I think a lot of people often just kind of judge their um, decisions not so much on whether it's good or bad but in a rather cynical way because it's familiar. Well, there there is. I think certainly, and, and we see this, and we've seen this in elections, um, that Australians like to elect someone that they feel is like them. Like Australians' uh, prime ministers are usually, like they appeal to the fact that they're one of us. I think this is different than we see in, in, in say, the US. I think in the US, presidents, because of the American dream and, and this idea of, you know, um, success there, have to have to come across as the smartest person in the room. Right, they're electing the smartest leader. They're electing the most competent. We we want to elect someone that's competent too, but we want to elect someone who's like us. We want to. We've got the tall poppy syndrome. There's safety in 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 the in the group. We want someone from the group. So I think a lot of times um, Australian politicians have been successful when they're able to tell a story 
like Bob Hawke, that they're one of us. Maybe they're, they're, they're very talented, but they're one of us. Someone mm. you can have a beer with. In fact, it's always interesting that every um, prime minister has to have that, that, that shot of having a beer in a pub. Um, you know, Julia Gillard had to do that. They all have to do that. Someone you can have a beer with. That's, that's who we vote for. Bob Hawke could work a room or pub like no other, able to mix effortlessly with everyone from labourers to matriarchs and even swimwear models. I think Bob Hawke, uh, in my personal opinion, will end up Prime Minister. Well, as far as I'm concerned, I think he's number one. Well, I think Bob Hawke is the man that they really need. I worked as a builder's labourer. I worked as a, a, a labourer on the chain gang and the abattoirs. Uh, and that's where I've, in a sense, felt happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bob Hawke was back with the yard glass. I think we've got moved past the yard glass phase, um, thanks to responsible service of alcohol laws. Um, but I think ScoMo has um, taken this uh, projection of the ordinary accessible bloke to the nth degree on whether it does or it doesn't matter whether or not it's actually him. I think that's the thing where we say, look at someone like Bob Hawke or whatever, we feel like what they did is they they maybe played up a part of, of their existing personality. Like they, they, they saw that, yes, you know, that they, they played up that who they were already with Scott Morrison. It and I've like- got to say as well that that, and I think I'm hanging around you too much now, John, because I'm starting to talk a lot more about pro wrestling than what I would like. The best pro wrestling gimmicks tend to be the ones that are an aspect of the real person, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, and Bob Hawke so. did a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. That's, look, I, I do think, you know, the, the wrestling analogy works really well in politics. But, yeah, right, they, it's they, there's an authenticity to it, right? This is really who they are. Yeah, they're playing it up a little bit. Yeah, they're putting a, a spotlight on it, but it is it is real. With Scott Morrison, it feels like it's not real and it's, it's totally artificial and constructed. And it's been really thought about and really calculated and and created but then in creating it he makes it real i think that's that's the part that then you know makes me a little bit sometimes un, unsettled he he feels like a, a, a cre- like a like a creation he's a creation of himself well there's a bit of like a, a 21st century reinterpretation of cartesian philosophy there isn't it it's like it's on on TV, therefore it is. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a. I guess it's a little bit. It feels a little bit different in regards to someone that was pretending. Like he's not pretending. He's made this, and now he's it. So, like, so 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 my my example right is we know for a fact he wasn't a shark supporter in nineteen ninety seven. No. Right? We know he, he loved his rugby. You know, uh, we know when he went for um, uh, pre-selection, I think, in 2009. You know, uh, was it 2000? No, 2007, I think, he goes for pre-selection. Um, it's then, I think, uh, or thereabouts. I might have my numbers wrong. But it's a, it was at least turn of millennium. We're um, talking about a mythical incident that happened in 1997. And I a, only know that because that was the year of my HSC. There's a good junkie article out there that, that talks about, you know, on his CV in, around that time, you know, he talked about the sports he liked and it was, you know, rugby, you know, the Waratahs and Ranrick, right? He yeah. doesn't mention. So he isn't a Shark supporter until he's pre-selected. 
moves into um, the community after he sells his house in Bronte and buys in Sutherland, right? Yeah. Then he becomes a shark supporter. So, yeah. Right? So that feels fake, okay? It feels like he's picked the sharks because he's now the local member. Yeah. And then he, you know, dresses up and goes to the games and whatever. But then I think he actually goes and has a great time and enjoys it and then makes it real. So it's a calculated act, mm. but he he personifies it so much it becomes real that he now is a genuine shark supporter and goes and watches the games. It'll be interesting to see when he loses or if he does lose uh, and, and, you know, if he quits politics, um, whether he stays living in Sutherland, whether he sells up and moves somewhere else, whether he would still be a shark supporter. So it's mm. like he created this this part of his persona, right, to be a good local member, support the local team, you know, and that has lived it so much it's become real. Mm. But when this is all over, will it still be real or will he just let it go and, and move on to the next thing? Like there's a there's an artificialness to that that, that I, I find uncomfortable. Um, well, with your uber-careerist politician, there's always an escape plan, so... I suspect this guy is currently, even as we speak, doing a deal for the, the political afterlife. Well, not to get too Marxist on it, but clearly, you know, where, where people worry about the, the um, corruption, right, getting the kickback, kickback while you're in government and doing the bourgeoisie's work, the politicians clearly are in there doing the bourgeoisie's work and then when they get out, they get that's when they get their reward, you know, mm. that's when they go onto the board, that's when they get these other jobs. So mm. um, I'm sure that there'll be lots of companies that will be interested in him. Although it's it's interesting because I was reading something that suggested that while that's happened to many other of our, our, you know, prime ministers, and our prime ministers now get out of the job much younger than they used to be and they still have quite a few uh, years to be uh, out there making money. Um, but that's the point, though. Like, it's it's the, the office, the role of office is often not the, the career end. It's often a stepping stone. That's it. Yeah, it used to be the career end. It used to be the pinnacle. And now it's, you know, you, you, you're prime minister and then you move on to other things. I was reading something that, that suggested that Tony Abbott hasn't been very successful about getting into boardrooms and um, the way the other politicians um, have been once they've moved on from their political careers. So it would be interesting to see... If Scott Morrison loses and if he leaves politics, mm. where does he end up, you know? Um, mm. But, of course, where, where we really are putting the, the the cart before the horse there, you know? I suspect it'll be the fast food sector. <laughs> How do you say delicious around the world? Yum. Yum Brands is one of the world's largest restaurant companies with more than 43,000 KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell restaurants in almost 140 countries. We are the clear restaurant leader in emerging markets with nearly 17,000 restaurants. Oh, one of the things that annoys me, and this is like, like this is so, while we're getting to sort of, I guess, that idea in the book, The Game, you know, about, about how he plays it. You yeah. Know, I wanted to bring um, that up because you you showed me that book and I read yeah. it. It's it's so so in reality, what really concerns me are his policies and what he's doing to our country. But he's just just the way he handles himself seems to me to be so artificial and so fake. Yeah, let's take a couple of steps back, John, because we have brought up the game and um, it's something I, I did want to touch upon a bit because it was an interesting read and I think it did set the scene for what we. We're going to talk about 
Um, but the guy is just in the last couple of months, especially, I think he's really just pretty much confirmed what the book was speculating on at the time. So the author, Sean Kelly, must be um, thinking, all right, well, great, that tests that hypothesis. Um, so maybe, John, if you just kind of want to do a quick blow-by-blow of what the game is about. Yo. I, 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 I might need your help with this. Well, firstly, Sean Kelly, he, from memory, is a former staffer for, was it Kevin Rudd? I think so, yeah. And Julia Gillard? Like, he was around during that time. Yeah. And then after that, he fell into journalism. Um, it's journalism. I like that. <laughs> Apologies to the journalists out there. <laughs> yeah, well, Bob Carter was in the other way, wasn't it? Um, so then he wrote this book uh, about something referred to as the game, and it touches upon a lot of the things that we've been talking about thus far, where um, if you can kind of like psychologically um, frame yourself in a way where it is about just basically playing snakes and ladders and trying to get to panel 100, um, then who's it really hurting? I think Sean Kelly talks about this idea that we read political biographies and we want to know the story about the man behind the, the image. Yeah. And then his thing is... Well, that's that's what he tried to do, a profile. Yeah. His thing is there's no man behind the image. The image is the man. Like, that. that's who this guy is. There is. It's a fake profile. <laughs> But that's that's what I think is really interesting, and in that it's it's the the image is the man, as in the, this image has been created, and then it becomes the man. So the man is nothing more than the image. That there isn't um, there isn't a real you know personality behind it. What you see is is, is real, but it, it's that that calculating you know that 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 um, measured uh, you know performance. But the performance as it, there's nothing else. Hmm. Um, which which is incredibly an incredibly interesting idea, you know. Like we we often and we do think about people in this way, and that you know, there's this core of their identity. There's you know maybe this secret person they've hidden away that they don't show people. Um, you know, there is something here that's just like there's nothing else. This is it. You know, this man is a a man that that you know has played these games to to uh, to make power. Who is you know, uh, played the role of the of the footy fan, and and then has made that real. And there's mm. there's something scary about that. I think. I remember um, towards the end of the book, he uh, he tried to kind of Sean. He tried to touch upon why, like, what happened in this guy's life to do what he does. I suspect a lot of it was the fact that eh. Like if it works, why why change it? And if you've got the privilege, why lose it? But there was some he tried to come up with a pathology there and I don't think he could touch upon it because I suspected if he did, that's probably when the when we he'd get lawyered. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether we can kind of go into the pathology ourselves, but it it what I mean the takeaway I, I get out of this is that um, I think, um, and this is where we can probably go into the the home stretch with this episode. I think I think it, it, we're at a we're at a, we're at a point now with politics and political economy now where um, 
there is a winding down of big ideas, I think. We've meandered, I think, over the last decade or so. Like neoliberalism has failed. What's happening in its place? There's a vacuum. This is something I might like to explore in future episodes where um, when you do look at the Marxism, um, there's there's often that prophetic framing of things where once there is a crisis, leftism will always prevail. But there has been a crisis, but it has been a crisis that has been, I would argue, going on as far back as the 1970s with the energy crisis. And that's one of the things that Marx couldn't factor back into back in the day as well, um, like the, the shop floor, the exchange of labour, all that sort of stuff. He never really was able to kind of anticipate how much of an idea or how, how imperative the, um, the concept of energy and resources would be. So there was a real crisis of energy in the 70s with the fuel shortages. And I think ever since then, there has been the meandering, the winding down. And then there was this neoliberalism thing, which was a very reactionary response to the stuff that was going on. It didn't solve it, but there was at least going to be an amount of people that were going to benefit from it. Now, uh, fast forward that um, into the uh, the latter 2010s, um, then what's left, you know? Is there a new big idea that's coming through? No. Perhaps, and this is, if Scott Morrison is um, going to win at something here, it's the fact that he's made this a contest of characters. There isn't any competition of policies here. Well, certainly the 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 talk is that, that Labor feels like that the last election they made a mistake of being too ambitious policy-wise. Mm. So this time around it's a game of, well, actually we need to, to reduce that, you know, and, and, and not be too ambitious. Yeah, yeah, and but make yourself a small target. But that is the narrative that was set in place by Scott Morrison. And so it unabashedly becomes a competition of personalities. And I don't know whether it's like I'm just becoming a, a bit of a cranky old guy that watches stuff a bit more, but I'm just noticing in this election, like the attack ads, they seem to be just like a lot more unabashed compared to previous election cycles. Am I right in that or am I just being cranky middle-aged dude? I don't know. I, I think one of the things I've I've noticed, and and again, you know, I'm recognizing I'm I'm not getting things uh, directly like I used to. I'm not watching as much TV. I don't bother reading, you know, too many newspapers anymore. Certainly don't don't pick them up very often. Um, but one of the things I've noticed is uh, a lot of the politicians complaining about their their um, core flutes being vandalized or ripped down or whatever, and that. That feels there's something little like really nasty there about that. There's something about again, we're not playing by the rules, you know. There's, there, we're not playing a fair game here. I'll rip down your core flute or I'll, I'll vandalize it or whatever. It just feels, you know. And certainly, you know, Tim Wilson and and um, his campaign, you know, in his electorate against uh, you know his political opponent putting up uh, signs has been interesting. It's definitely, and I think. It feels, and, and I'm sure elections in the past were probably much, much tougher and there were more violence and stuff, but it does feel like, you know, there's a lot of desperation uh, out there on the on the Liberal side um, in regards to some of these 
well, very much the the teals, uh, the independents that they're facing in these, um, you know, small L liberal seats. Well, that's what I was alluding to earlier, where that idea that there is a crisis and uh, then it would be corrected by everything just kind of going lefty and potentially revolutionary lefty. Um, but it, the crisis has meandered. Um, it could take on other forms. It could escalate. But the thing that I'm particularly noticing is that it's, uh, it's become a cavalcade of different political thoughts and different presentations. And I keep thinking about that Gramscian quote of the time of monsters and um, at the risk of sounding melodramatic, it's like my monster threshold is a dude that is quite happy with um, presenting a persona, and that's politics. I think it is interesting, right, in that, to, you know, we talk about Morrison and the game and almost, you know, without, like, he seems like a guy without a really strong political ideology and, when he does talk about political ideology, it doesn't really hold water. Um, and then we're actually seeing in our lifetime probably the widest political spectrum, you know, uh, in the mainstream. Um, so I think, you know, having someone being being a person that grew up during the, the last days of the Cold War, um, it really, and I remember, you know, reading Kramsky at uni and, and, you know, people saying, well, he was in parliament, like the idea that you had fascist and socialist in, in the Italian parliament sort of thing like that. That political spectrum, mainstream political spectrum was wide. Mm. And in my lifetime, it's been really narrow. It's really been these two neoliberal parties. And I've watched, you know, as, as Labor has become more neoliberal, you know, during my lifetime. And now we're sort of seeing this idea that these are these other political voices on the extreme and they're, they're, they're finding um, new space in the mainstream that they didn't have well, I just find it's multiplicitous. Like it, it's, I don't think there is a, a coalescence that would have happened in before where it's like, okay, well, you might disagree about a few things, but you're still going to be under this like big uh, popular banner of the left or the right. Um, but it just seems to be like a galaxy of things. Uh, I've referred to Dave Eden's thesis before about the cosmic right, there doesn't seem to be any particular evidence of any particular organisation amongst the cosmic right other than a bunch of randos turning up at the White House and storming it. Um, but that is my point with it being the time of monsters. Then there seems to be a randomness about that. So I, I'm not sure what's next. I think... Yeah, something when I think about that that idea, the time of monsters, and I think about you know, we we are at a moment where political issues or, or social issues that we thought were better down and and we had moved on, and maybe there wasn't full full consent uh, across the 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 society, but there was enough that that we could just move forward, such as about abortion. Um, and seeing what's happening in the US, like that that issue now coming up again, it, it isn't resolved. Mm. It does make me start to think all these other issues that we, we think is resolved and, and sorted and we've moved forward, they're going to be revisited uh, and they're going to be redebated and, 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 you know, they could come out in different ways. Like it is a moment where it does feel that, that some more things are up for grabs now, more things can be questioned. Mm. Um, 
that that's interesting. I don't I don't know whether Morrison is a reflection of where politics is going. I mean, you certainly can see in the US politicians that that embody what what Morrison does, and certainly you know the Morrison pulls a lot from um, uh, the politics in America and the tactics there. But I don't know if if this is this a like really an apolitical political ideology sort of doesn't really that important. It's about power and and you know being able to do what you want. Um, whether we're going to see the rise of more ideologies, whether we're going to see people starting to put an ideological flag in, in, in the ground and rally around it. I mean, that seems to be two things that are happening at the same time. Apolitical, almost, you know, just power, just about the power, and then, you know, other things which are more uh, about questioning about the, the, the basic sort of agreements we've got in our society, the political agreements that we've agreed to. Mm, mm. Okay. Well, wrapping up, John, um, what I've learned today is that Scott Morrison, in fact, did not shit himself, but the fact is whether or whether or not he shat himself, there's merit to why the myth should persist. Yeah. I always found it interesting that he's denied it, right? And he's went out and said it never happened, but I joke about it, blah, blah, blah. But he never addresses the fact that would prove it wrong by saying, well, I never would have been at the Sharks Grand Final in 97 because I didn't start following them to 2009. Because that answer would then put a mark against this, you know, authenticity he's created about himself as a real, you know, true blue rugby league fan, which he created. Mm. Again, I shouldn't get that upset about the fact that someone... Pretends to be a rugby league fan. <laughs> well, that was one of the things that was uh, on the to-do list. Like, we were going to do, like, big rugby league uh, episode sometime uh, and talk about the political economy of that. I think that this is like this is silly, right? Because in actual fact, what really is pissing me off in this election at the moment is is the Catherine Deeves selection in Warringah. Uh. Where he <laughs> picks an anti-trans activist. He picks it. So yeah. he actually, it's his captain's pick. This is him going, he's the best candidate for there. That's yeah. right. That was my second, that was my second point. But like I read that at the start, I was talking about uh, Michael Talk. Yeah. Talk. Uh, if someone can tell me how to pronounce that correctly, please tell me. Um. The man who accused Scott Morrison of racism has now blown the lid on the grubby deal and conspiracy that saw him get stripped of his Liberal pre-selection so Scott Morrison and his best mate could get elected to Parliament. Michael Toke has told 10 News First the start of Mr Morrison's political career is based on branch stacking, backstabbing and betrayal. Michael Toke, Michael Toke, Michael Toke. That guy and then that second... Thing, that dodgy thing that was clear that was the fact that um, him and his consigliere, basically, what's his name, Alex Hawke, yep. basically stalled the pre-selection process so they could effectively have the right to make those captain's picks. Now, morality and ethics aside, you can just basically put a turf in there because a turf will get you votes, but a turf is a turf. But clearly, clearly has no intent and no, like, a, I could be proved wrong, but has no chance of winning Warringah. Like, she's a dead candidate there, right? She's not going to beat Zali Stegall. It gives the electorate over, like, it gives the win to Zali Stegall, right? Mm. But this idea that it's meant to be some sort of, you know, strategic thing he's done, so it, it'll give him votes in other parts of, 
of uh, Australia, you know, Western Sydney, where people are, you know, more likely to be anti-trans. Like, it's just, like, that in itself, like, again, we're talking about some of the most vulnerable people in our society, right, in our community, and throwing them under the bus because it might get your votes in Western Sydney. It seems like a dumb strategy, right? Not all his moves are particularly good, Mm. but it just... Like, that's just, if, if it is, a, like, he, he, it's interesting. He plays it up saying, I picked her because I agree with her views. Mm. But then every analysis is is following Sean Ke- Kelly's position and going, this is part of the game, right? There's a, there's a political tactic here. This isn't really about what he believes. This is about, you know, trying to, to win other votes and other seats. It just makes me sick. Yeah. So that's why when I run the gauntlet, <laughs> see the guy with the liberal uh, thing handing it out to me, you know, looking at me hopefully with those wishful eyes that maybe as a white middle-class man I might be on his side, I'd be saying to him, what the fuck is going on in Warringah? How can you be handing out for a party that would do that? And I tell you what, John, I think the response might be like, I hear you, bro. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just... Well, <laughs> So when when a good friend of ours, Dave, ran a, as a Green in Banks, um, you know, I, I was on the forefront of, I'm the guy handing out the flyer, I'm handing out the Greens flyer. Lots of amazing things happened on that day. Mm. Um, but I remember the Liberal guy uh, on the on the booth and, and even back then saying to him, what are you doing, buddy? And him going, oh, yeah, sorry, you know, the candidate's my mate's brother. Like, I don't agree either, but, you know, I'm helping him out. Like, even then, that that's, and I'm sure a lot of the time, you know, there are other people out there who are handing it out because they firmly believe in the party. And there's other people going, yeah, I'm just doing this for a mate. And I wonder when I go for my vote and I say to that Liberal guy, really? I wonder if they're going, yeah, yeah, just doing it well for a mate. You know, well, she's not running here. Like, I don't know, man. But like that, on, on, any, on any grounds, whether it's his view, or whether this is poli- part of his political strategy to, to give away Warringah in the hope of that you were never going to win anyway, because Ali Segal's such a popular member, to maybe get some votes in Western Sydney. In any case, it makes me sick. I mean, mm. that that's that artificialness, you know, that that it's not even it, – he doesn't even believe it. Like, it's just this is, this is another avenue to get more votes. There's something – like, if someone genuinely believes something, you can have a conversation with them, right? You can, you can maybe convince them that they're wrong. But if someone doesn't believe something and they're just doing it for strategic reasons, you can't convince them. Mm. The only way you can convince them is your strategy is dumb. Mm. There's a heartlessness there. There's a hollowness there that, that, that worries me, you know? Mm. Anyway. Well, I mean, my, my cynicism of parliamentary politics is there by default. So it's like I'm none to that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you and I have met people, right, from different political sides of, 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 you know, the game. Yeah. Who do have a belief. They have a fundamental belief in something. Right? And that's part of the point of Sean Kelly's book as well. Like the, you'll have people that are playing the game to various degrees um, and that's what kind of gets my hackles up to, to what extent a person will kind of do that, you know, uh, <coughs> union officials. But um his point, though, is is that there is some decent reason why a person will do that. Yeah. But on this occasion, nah. And that's the hollowness. The hollowness is what I fear. Yeah. The hollowness. Like, I'd rather someone be, you know, 
a terrible bigot, but they're a bigot and you could discuss it with them and you might be able to convince them, right? And, and you know, a couple of times in my life I've convinced people who had really horrible ideas that they were wrong and then, you know, they, they moved forward and they were good, right? And I've seen lots of examples of that, you know, but the idea that someone has a hollowness, that there really isn't a belief system there. Well, instead, it's just like, shake my hand. Shake my hand, John. Oh, shake yeah. my hand. Look, I, 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 so many like you, so many things where you'd look at, right, and you'd go, oh, this guy's done, right? The moment we see him forcing people to shake his hands, I'm like, this guy's done. But it just goes to show that if you're relentless and you just don't admit that you're wrong, you can push through this shit. Like yeah. You can get somewhere. Like I think in the past, right, when, when a politician got caught out doing something dodgy, they would end up falling on their sword, usually because someone told them they had to, right? I think if they knew that if you just pushed through, you could actually get over it, they wouldn't have done it. And that's that's actually now we're in this this world where, you know, if you're a person with this hollowness and you don't really have a but you but you don't have any shame and you're not and you're, and you're relentless, like you're gonna go places. That's the guy I hated. That's the guy I hated in school that had no belief system, didn't have a, a moral thing, was just relentless and was prepared to play the game to win at all cost. That mm. was a guy I couldn't be friends with. That was a guy I couldn't relate to. That was a guy I was afraid of. Mm. And well, that's the sort of politician that scares me now because it means what, what, what would stop? What would they stop at? What, what, what are they prepared to do to win? Yeah, it's a, it, I can't predict things um, and... Maybe that's where we can kind of wrap it up there, John, in that is this a sign of more things to come? Is this going to be a new political status quo or is this the zenith of late capitalism? The interesting thing is, and obviously we're recording this, you know, what is it, a week and a half out from the actual election. Mm. I do fear if he wins and people see this as success that, that this does change or reinforce this political the game that sean kelly says as as the way to do it right mm. so so part of me wants him to lose so that the liberal like the liberal party needs time in the wilderness to work out what the fuck is going on right it that party is a mess they All need parties are messes though they are but that one like i mean the point you made about new south wales where they delayed it so that he could do his captain's pick like yeah that that's a mess what does this party stand for what is it what is it what is it going to do? What is it going to be about? Well, that's more than a mess. That's like scurrilous. You could you could argue that the the pick of Cap Catherine Deves, right, in in is going to undermine those small L like the, those centre wet liberals in New South Wales in those in those North Shore seats, and that they're the ones that are going to lose. And so in the end, the liberals that will get elected will be predominantly more from the right, like. So you might be able to argue from a political strategy, that's what he's doing too. He's moving the party over, getting rid of those, you know, centre liberals out. Like that's, that. like if, if he's successful with that, like this is a party that just needs to go back to the drawing board and work out. But if he wins, they won't go back to the drawing board. They'll go, this is who we are. Well, that's what it might have been for this guy. It's like it was a war within a war. Like maybe the true battle is actually within his own party and maybe that's what might have mattered to him. Because you assume if they lose, it's all going to fall apart for them. Like, it, you know, I remember a couple of times where, you know, they've lost and the Nationals go, right, well, we're not friends anymore, and they go do their own things. I mean, there's another party that's just in, in, incredible. Um, mm. I, like, this, this, if, if they lose, they can go away, they can think about it and come back and, and do something decent, right? 
Um, but if they win, oh my god! If this, if this, if this is rewarded, you know, and this is what frustrates me, right? Because I used to see those guys in business and in school and think, okay, they're playing the system, right? And 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 we can't control it. But this is actually we vote. We decide whether this guy wins. The 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 the, the Australian public decide whether or not this guy, you know gets to win the election or whether we say, no, we don't want people like this in charge. Yeah. But then again, I'm saying that for you. I know when I I see some people say that they like him, they think, you know, he's a, he's an honest guy and whatever. Like, Mm. I mean, that's, that's the problem. People have so many different views. Um, Mm. It's one of the issues of our society where we always thought reason would guide us. Well, no. Mm. Well, let's conclude this, John. (laughs) Sorry, mate. (laughs) Scott Morrison did not shit himself at Inga Dean Mackers. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like I could have ended it there, but um, uh, I think into the future, John, uh, we might uh, we might try to, to find this David Satu fella. Um, we might talk about our rugby league. Um, we're still going to try and pursue the that wrestling mob particularly after we had our wrestling outing. And, yeah, fingers crossed you don't give me a virus anymore. I'll, I will promise not to not to spit on you any, anymore. <laughs> I'll stop doing that. <laughs> Thank you very much, John. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. All right, well, uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, I'm stoked with the fact that I've got good audio tonight. I've had a good time just enjoying that, uh, let alone um, trying to um, unspell that gate. Thank you. So long. Bye. They know that, uh, you know, I I don't hold a hose, mate, and I I don't sit in the control room. Uh,